Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Anything But Typical podcast. This is going to be a fun one because we have the dynamic father-son duo of QDS. So Joe and Sean Farrell, (laughs) this is going to be fun. Papa Joe and John, man, like your story's awesome. And so I can't wait to hear more of it because I know I'm going to hear a lot more new stuff. And there's lots of cool stuff to talk about because of, you know, the dynamics of a father, son in a business, also some transitions happening that you guys can talk about to whatever extent you want to. But we're going to start the program off with the the anything but typical, typical (laughs) question, which is the scenario is here. Joe. You are out, you're walking across the parking lot to Hickory Tavern, probably going to get one of those build your own salads and whatever. I don't know what you, what you get. They have very good (laughs) build your own salads, by the way. Um, And somebody sees you walking across the parking lot and they're like, that is Papa Joe Farrell. And they start talking about you. What is it that you would like somebody to say about you, especially when they don't realize that they can hear what you they're saying about you. Yeah, I'd really like them to be talking about not me personally, but what I've done, uh, especially with respect to our nonprofit. That they they have somehow learned of me through not through QDS, but through the nonprofit, and they've uh, they've engaged with me, and I did something good for them. That's what I'd like to hear. Cool. Well, we will talk more about Lionheart and your nonprofit because we want to hear more about that heartbeat and what you're doing because it's cool. Sean, we're going to flip the the script and we're going to move it over to you. So this time you are the one that's on airplanes all the time, going to meet with customers, et cetera. You're going through the concourse at Charlotte Douglas Airport, going by the rocking chairs. Somebody says, hey, that's Sean Farrell. What is it that you would like them to be saying about you, especially if they thought that they couldn't hear anything that they were saying about you? Yeah, Gary, I mean, I think the phrase that comes to mind is the right way. So, you know, I I feel like we have tried to run QDS to do business the right way, treating people the way they want to be treated, um, just being an example of not what's wrong with these quote unquote greedy corporations, but if someone could run a business the right way, you know, there's someone that's making an impact both to his employees and to the community. And I, I use David Chadwick's line all the time back when he was at Forest Hill, but you know, we want to be a great company so that we can give back to the the communities that we serve. And so I guess that would be what I would hope to hear that, hey, there there's someone in Charlotte that's that's doing it the right way. And uh, man, I wish maybe we could do it a little bit more like him would be probably the nirvana for me. Man, that is beautiful. Right. Going out and trying to be be the example. Right. Lead the right way. So I love it. So. Let's let the listeners get a quick idea of, of who you guys are. And then I really want to dive into the, the background and we'll go through the story. So Joe's the owner and president at QDS. And as he alluded to, he's the managing director at Lionheart Charities. And Sean's the CEO at, Q, at QDS. And prior to that, he was a professional baseball player for uh, first stint there. So 
Joe, I want to start with you. You've been owning this for over 39 years. Explain the origin of QDS. Huh. Okay, so I, I would say that I, I grew up in the cash automation business. My, my father uh, had worked for a company called Brandt, which no longer exists as a company, but uh, back in the day. And um, so that was the, the early generation of cash automation as we know it. Uh, they sold desktop products, uh, coin sorters, coin packagers, currency counters. And um, so when I came out of Florida State, um, and Sean's heard this story a thousand times, uh, I went to work for Xerox because Xerox had the best uh, PSS or professional selling skills school at the time. And Ben, you probably don't remember this because this is back in the early 70s, but Xerox had was known for their, their sales training. Probably not so much now, but certainly back in the day, they had a, a university that people from all different walks of life sent salespeople to. Well, this the company that my dad worked for, Brandt, uh, didn't hire inexperienced salespeople. So after a year with Xerox, I went and interviewed. Normally, they didn't hire people that didn't have a minimum of five years experience, but the company at that time was in transition. I was the youngest person ever hired to, to go to work for Brandt, and uh, I was probably the youngest person to ever leave, too, when I left later. But um, in any event, that's that's where I cut my teeth, and I was there until 1977, so about a six-year stint. And uh, in 77, I started my own company in Oklahoma, in Tulsa. That was the opportunity that was presented to me. I became a, a district manager. Again, I was the youngest district manager that they'd ever appointed. Uh, that's why Sean was born in, in Tulsa. He doesn't remember anything about Tulsa or the ranch that we lived on or any of that, but um, we, moved, uh, we moved to Charlotte uh, in 1983 and started uh, QDS in, in 1983, and uh, that was 39 years ago. So I got a real quick question, being a, a Kansas native, Ah. Um, so I'm very familiar with the red clay of Oklahoma. Um, what is it that brought you to Charlotte from Tulsa, Oklahoma? Um, really, it was about an opportunity that I presented to a number of other grant district managers that were of my generation at the time. Uh, the irony is that we met uh, in Charlotte at a, at a restaurant in the South Park area that doesn't exist anymore. Um, but in any event, I, I pitched the idea of, um, of quality data systems. And the reason for that was that my last two years with Brandt, I was on a team that went out and evaluated other companies. Uh, and what I found was that there was an awful lot of companies that that had manufacturing capability or had product, but didn't have 
sales forces or marketing capability. And over the course of two years, we presented 10 different, what I thought were solid opportunities for Brandt as a company to OEM. Uh, now, Brandt was a Wisconsin-based company, so they were all of German heritage. And the opportunities that we presented, half of those 10 were Japanese. Well, you can imagine what a German family would say to taking on a Japanese product. And I think the one that finally sent me over the edge was we presented sharp teller machines to the company, which was something that we could have private labeled. They said, no, they wanted to go with Marchant. So a year later, uh, as Sharp was selling machines all over the country, in fact, they ended up selling over 700,000 Sharp teller machines in the US to the banking environment. Brandt sold a total of 50 <laughs> Marchant teller machines. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So great decision on their part. Um, but that that kind of pushed me over the edge. And I decided that what I could do is, is form a company and go out and sign up manufacturers. And rather than represent just one company, I could represent, like the independent insurance agent, I could represent a number of different product areas and product arenas. And so that was the, the genesis of QDS. And to have a name that was generic enough that whatever direction we went uh, from a product standpoint, it would fit under that banner. Uh, of the four people that were at that meeting, three of them ended up working with QDS one of them didn't come on board because while we were at the meeting, he got a call from Wendy's and he just secured the largest order, I think that had ever been submitted to Brandt by any rep. It was a $5 million order that he made over a million dollars on. And he said, fellas, I, I'm not leaving, <laughs> which we all understood. So. Anyway, three of those four came on board. One of them uh, was here in Charlotte, had worked for me in Florida, and um, we parted ways within the first year. The, the other individual was a longtime friend and partner of mine, and um, we stayed together for about 10 years. And then eventually, uh, in fact, a couple of years ago, Gary, we, we bought that company back out. The office was in Richmond, Virginia. And uh, they operated under the same name as us. That was my mistake. And uh, again, a couple of years ago, 2018, we bought that company back and uh, they were pretty much upside down and dead. So we, we needed our name back to operate that market, which we do today and have for a number of years. So that's the long story. So let's, let's give the listeners a glimpse of, of what, QDS looks like today? What are the problems that you guys are currently tackling? What do you explain the basics of that? Because that'll, and Sean, if you can take that, that'd be amazing. Then we can go further into, into QDS. Yeah, I think we're at that, um, I'll call it awkward size. We're about 80 to 85 people uh, today. So we're in that kind of growing out of small business land in the medium size. Um, you know, how do you eliminate some single points of failure? How do you make sure you don't grow too fast and outpace your cash? Um, you know, how do you maintain culture 
through a global pandemic, through operating in 12 states. Um, hey, how do you attract the right talent? Uh, can we still get people to come to the office? Is the hybrid model the right model? Should we allow people to work remote? So I think a lot of challenges that everyone's facing right now, you know, we haven't quite gotten to that size where we get this beautiful economy of scale and, you know, it just becomes a, a much more efficient machine, but we're, we're making progress. We're very focused on processes and uh, just so we can continue to bring talent on and plug them into our our process. So really moving from single point of control to, you know, much more of that kind of extreme ownership mentality is really what has been the focus probably the last two to three years. And it's not easy. I mean, it's, it's a fun challenge. Uh, some days are better than others, but uh, we've certainly made a lot of progress over the last few years. Yeah, so you're you're in that that no man's land, right? Which which is a great spot to be in because you've grown out of, or at least are growing out of the small company. But that transition to that that next level of the mid-sized, larger type company, there's a there's a big difference as far as how you do the things like culture and stuff like that. So, what what's the communication look like inside to these eighty to eighty five employees as you're trying to get all the systems and operations in place? while making sure that these people are still still bought into the vision of the company and the culture and things like that yeah we we use a lot of video communication you know our our company is spread out across you know 12 states so i, I realize our people can feel like they're on islands at some time so i think it's reassuring for them to hear what's going on in other spots of the of the company what progress we have make what we're trying to get accomplished we may, you know, in transparency, say we haven't quite got there yet, but here's where that process is. Here's what we're trying to improve it and why. Um, so you, you end up answering a lot of just questions around what is going on? Where have we made progress? Uh, yes, we hear you on that particular challenge. Uh, you know, that may not have the, the highest priority right now, but we'll add that to the list. So I, I think that's both a challenge and really a, a frustration is, you know, you kind of have to prioritize what are key issues. You can only solve so many things in a year. And I think that's certainly something I've learned in the last few years is you, you can't fix it all at once. So you really got to, you know, hone and focus your resources on a couple big things. And hopefully that will waterfall down the way and having a big impact across the organization. Yeah. And I, I'd like to add to that is that, Ben, I don't, I don't believe that culture is limited to the scope or size of a company. And I think that Boeing is a great example of that. Not, not the current day Boeing, I will, I will say, but the, the Boeing of the past, regardless of how big they have gotten, their culture was significant in terms of the way they treated their people. And, and it was effectively communicated from person to person all the way down the line about how they operate and, and what was important to the company. Uh, and I, I think that's probably the key for any size company is effectively communicating what, what the message is to all your employees so they know what, what really is the core value of the company, what direction are you going? I think, I think in today's day and age, certainly, coming off COVID, not that we've totally escaped that, is that people out there have fear. Uh, they fear for their job. Uh, Sean 
uh, talk today in an email to, to people about the fact that tech companies are laying off an enormous number of people. And I think that, you know, as an observer, when people look around and they look at each other and they're trying to figure out how healthy is the company, how do you overcome that? You effectively communicate uh, how the company is performing and, and where you're at so they know and they can feel confident when they get up that day and they go to buy gas or groceries or whatever it is that, you know, they're going to be employed tomorrow. That's to them, you know, how do you get it down to the most basic level? It's, it's what's important to your employees. Man, you bring up a great, great point, Joe. I think the number one issue in every organization and not just companies, but anytime you have two people occupying a pretty tight space, like in a marriage or a family, communication is the number one issue that I see, the number one issue. And when we think that we're over communicating, we're not, you know, and it's not just the words that make up communication, it's what we do. And as leaders, you know, you guys talked about, you know, what you want to be known for, et cetera, but what you do is really what people know you for, right? It's, it's the actions and all that. But I think you're right, being intentional about driving home that communication, and especially in times of turmoil, lack of communication, people will fill the void with incorrect, fearful answers many times. Yeah, it becomes tra training your staff. So that, that's been another challenge as we scale is we want to make sure the message that maybe we did in the recruiting process is being executed down the line by managers. So making sure you're equipping your people with, you know, are you checking in on your employees? Do you know them well enough? Uh, how are you communicating our culture and core values more consistently? So those are things that can get often overlooked of, hey, we, we think up here in the executive team, we've got this dialed in. And then to come to find out the, the frontline employee is not getting that. And as we grow and have less and less potential interaction with some of those frontline people at scale, like the having great managers and making sure you're communicating to them and that they're executing that vision down to the frontline is um, vital. Yeah, and for example, during COVID, you know, we didn't miss a day. Uh, and it's difficult doing a Zoom call and seeing Sean sitting in my old office uh, now that I'm working from home. But uh, while, while COVID was going on and when it started up, we were in the office every day and we would do a video off and Sean, maybe every two weeks uh, for our employees to let them know what was going on, what we were hearing. And because we're a financial services company, the financial institutions that were open and they were all open to some degree, we were still providing service and we need to provide service. Now, granted the number of PMs that we were doing and having access to certain branches was dialed back quite a bit, but when somebody had a service issue, our people need to respond. So it, it was a challenging time uh, for financial institutions and for us. And uh, I won't, steal Sean's thunder. He can talk about the, the benefit that we're getting as a result of COVID with respect to the, the products that we offer. So. Um, 
so Sean, before we go into some of those specifics of what uh, Joe just teed you up for, um, I want to take you back pre-joining QDS, right? So you you were uh, drafted by the Oakland Athletics, and obviously, in order to do that, ha- have an immense focus on playing baseball, right, in the sport for it. What interaction did you have growing up inside the business at all? Was it being able to see anything about the operations of the business or were you completely disconnected until after, after college and then after baseball? Yeah, I mean, very little. I mean, I, I certainly would hear it around the, the dinner table as, um, you know, dad was making it happen. So, you know, how, how closely I was paying attention to, to some of those stories of the day, you know, right. I'm, I'm not sure uh, a number of our technicians, you know, remember me in the workshop with my bag of Skittles or whatnot, that story's come up a, a number of times, but, you know, never really thought I would go into the family business. Again, I, w- I was the baseball player. I was going to, you know, make it to the big leagues. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that I had much of an interest in business until, right. you know, injury happens, decided to get into the business while I was rehabbing and, you know, kind of funneled that competitive drive and found sales and found that to be a, a very similar, um, mindset and um, neurological win, right? So getting those sales was very similar to hitting home runs and things like that. So as my shoulder never really recovered and I really kind of fell in love with sales, you know, off we went, but that that was definitely not the plan and plan was be a big leagues and certainly you see the money in baseball now and go, gosh, darn it, I, I could be making 20, 30 million a year as an average player in the league. Good Lord, I don't know what these guys are paying now. It's crazy. Yep. So talk about how a dedication to a sport to the point of being able to get drafted, right, which is unbelievably rare uh, company. How did that translate to business? You talked about one right there of how the same mentality feeling of sales, but how did some of that dedication piece to a sport, how did that translate into business? I think I think one of the biggest things is constant improvement. So as an athlete, uh, I was always the one, you know, taking the extra swings in the cage, uh, did a lot of work with my teammates at the University of North Carolina. Like if anybody was in a slump, like I would volunteer to throw to them in the cage, try to get them out of that slump, that whole team mentality. But I would say I almost have an allergy to complacency, right, as an athlete. So you're, you're never really all the way there. So as you get to business and you have success in business, it's, well, man, we can, we can still get better. We can tweak this here. So that you know, A, that, you know, I am incredibly competitive as an individual. So uh, I'm sure that's had a, a hand in success in business, but, but never having that complacency of we've got it all figured out and we can always be improving some way, somehow. And as long as you tie that to your customer experience and making sure that we're putting them first, not the company first, then um, that has been a, a formula for success uh, for me. Hey. I want to go back to the whole notion on communication, though, um, and I want to hear a little bit more about the communication between a father who started a business and a son who was a pro baseball player who comes into the business and then starts working alongside you and now is in transition to where the, the company is moving to you. Communication between a father and son isn't always the easiest thing, especially when you're in the same company, 
the same company that you started, Joe. I'm curious, what were some of the communication challenges that you guys experienced? How did you overcome those? What was the communication cadence that ended up kind of working for you? I'd like to hear a little bit more about that if I could. I'll let Sean answer that. Yeah, when I, I mean, when I think back to the beginning, Gary, I mean, it was kind of, we weren't very organized. So it was kind of like I was, you know, fighting battles here and there as I started to have some success, that communication started to be, well, what makes sense here? So we ended up dividing North and South Carolina between us. So I focused on South Carolina. He focused on North Carolina. So it was kind of that, all right, this is working. We probably need to get this organized a little better. Um, and then as we looked at new lines of business, it just became, hey, like this, this seems like a good idea. Should we go invest some time in, in that market? And that was really a lot of, I guess, my growth out of, you know, I, I think about maybe years three through six or something like that was looking at more systems based technology, trying to figure out stuff that we that we hadn't done before. And then obviously having dad say, well, yeah, let, let's look at that. That makes sense. And versus saying, nah, we're just going to keep on this path. So, you know, one of dad's talents for a long time has been products and innovation and always kind of pushing the envelope. So um, that was probably always one area that we aligned well. And then I would go figure it out and then we'd come back and we'd, we'd be very successful selling it. How do we service it? How do we train people? So um, as it's gone on, you know, through you know, mutual success and getting getting later on as roles change. And I want to say it's been almost 10 years now. I've been our CEO. I mean, just making sure we're aligned on where do both of us need to be involved. Um, and those are probably been some of the friction points over time. One or the other of us makes a decision. We're 90% aligned most of the time, but maybe that was one that we had a disagreement. So trying to work through all right, well, maybe that was one we needed to come together on in hindsight. So, you know, that's been one of the beauties of working together is, you know, 90, 95% of the time we, we have saw it the same way. And, you know, we, we've had some of those areas where maybe we didn't and, um, you know, learn from those mistakes and hopefully correct it going forward. So that, that's been some of what that cadence has looked like and trying, I mean, most of the time working together, we probably talk every day. So it, it's been a, a pretty frequent cadence. Yeah, and going back, I guess, to, to Ben's earlier question, I think every or most parents, and, and Gary, this has been touched on numerous times in, in the webinars about succession planning. And I think that most people, when they start a company, they, they want to have a succession plan that involves their family, if that's possible. And certainly, Sean, in the early days, had absolutely no interest in the company whatsoever. So... Uh, it, it was interesting how that evolved. And I would say there's there's hope for all the listeners that if your kids don't have a, an interest right now, that doesn't mean that something won't change and they'll have an interest uh, at some point in time. Uh, people get hurt, they get injured, uh, their dreams change and, and the opportunity represents itself. Um, and I think the other thing about the cadence of communication is that yeah, we, we talk multiple times a day, uh, at least while I was still actively involved. I, I would be surprised if we didn't talk four or five times a day or if Sean was in the air that day, 
on his way back from the from the airport, he'd call me and and kind of bring me up to speed on how that how that day went. So uh, yeah, I don't I don't know how to depict that other than uh, communication was was constant. It's like any partner you might have that you would talk to frequently. It was just a constant communication and. Uh, as he said, in most cases, we thought very much alike. Yeah, there are some things that we agreed to disagree on, but for the most part, um, you know, I would know what he's thinking before he would say it. And probably likewise, he, he knew my feeling on a topic before uh, it even came up with someone else. So yeah, that was that was probably the easy part. One, one other thing that I want to go down this path, and then, Ben, you can uh, take it back. But as a father, and I'm a father of two grown sons myself, right? So there's a dynamic shift that goes from being a dad, do this, do that, you know, and directing to being collaborator, uh, collaborator and like a, a partner, and I'm just curious, how did you navigate that? And I'd like to hear from you too, Sean. What was that like? How, you know, how did you guys navigate that? Huh. I, th I think for me, uh, my relationship with my dad, and I work for my dad in, in, in this line of business, and I was determined not to treat Sean the way that I was treated. And uh, eventually, Ironically, I'd say, my dad ended up working for me. Uh, so I guess that was kind of the, the platform is that I didn't want it to be the same way. I want it to be different. How, how so? Yeah. Can you elaborate on that? Um, I would say I was never treated as more than an employee. I was paid like any other employee. Um, I assumed a lot of responsibility, but was never given credit for it. And eventually uh, the company came to me and asked me to move on uh, to another role. And I did that, but uh, yeah, it was kind of an interesting dynamic. Uh, there wasn't that same level of communication about how the company was performing. Uh, one of the things that, that we do as a company is we're, we're totally transparent with our employees. They know how we're performing, how much money we're making, where the money goes, how it's being spent. There aren't many companies that I'm aware of that I've engaged with that do that to the level that we do it. So, you know, I guess you can call that old school or whatever you want to call that, but that didn't used to be the norm uh, to share that kind of information. So that's kind of the way I grew up. And um, does that help? Does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah, appreciate that. Otherwise I'll keep talking. We don't want no. to. <laughs> no, that was really good. You have, if you have more to say, you can always keep going. But no, that was, that was perfect. And, and then Sean, you were about to butt in also. What, what was your take on it? Yeah, I, I, you know, I think we, you can tell probably just from tone on this, like, you know, dad is definitely more of the emotional one and I'm tend to be more of the pragmatist. So, you know, things like organizing and roles and whatnot would tend to get brought up. And then again, just since this is a podcast, I mean, those, 
those can be points of friction when, you know, how do I respectfully say, do, should we do it this way? Or here's maybe different strengths and weaknesses between the two of us. So again, some of those conversations went very well. Some of them maybe didn't go so well based on how the information was presented. So those are things that, you know, you try to do well that, that you learn over time. And, um, you know, that, that's just always that key is to make sure that that other person feels respected. And, you know, maybe I didn't execute that a hundred percent, uh, every time. And nobody know, so does, <laughs> right. So those are, those are good lessons to learn, uh, as you try to navigate change. And it's, you know, it's the same in this dynamic as well. Just how, how do you, how do you do it the right way? Going back to the original statement of, you know, that's, that's what you ultimately hope to be overheard. Did, did you do it right? Well, well done, good and faithful servant, right? <laughs> and so, for the most part, I was always right. I just want to add that. <laughs> well, as you should, Papa Joe. <laughs> yeah, we'll, that's, we'll why, make sure. that's why my office is at home now is because I was always right, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah, we'll make sure all the listeners know that at the end of the day, Joe was always right. Um, Sean, the last question I wanted to ask about your transition into the business is one of the things Gary and I have seen a lot talking to, to different uh, business leaders on this podcast is there are a few mentalities of backgrounds that it takes time to transition with other people. And we've seen a lot with uh, people coming from military and people coming from serious athletic backgrounds, right? Because quite often it's put your head down, get the work done. The allergy to complacency is a, is a great way to say that. I love that quote that you gave. So as you were coming in and now you're, you're not around professional athletes anymore, you're not around division one athletes at UNC, all this stuff. Um, your mentality quite often is going to be different than some of the people you're around. How did you handle that as far as how you communicated with people, how you worked hand in hand with people, what did that transition look like for you from a, a mentality and interaction standpoint? Man, that's a loaded question there, uh, Ben. So, um, well, and maybe it's not right. Like for you, maybe that was very smooth. We've just noticed that com people coming from military and people coming from high athletic levels quite often have a different type of mentality, not to say it's better or worse in any way. It's just a different way of going about things. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, one of the lessons I learned is not everyone has ownership mentality, right? So this is our baby, you know, we're, we're the people picking the trash up off the floor in the warehouse and, and not everyone operates that way. Um, thinking back to communication and approach, it goes back to um, are people understanding my intention of what I'm saying or are they hearing something different than what I'm trying to communicate. And so that has been potentially a frustration is you think you have communicated something and they have completely missed that point. And if they maybe aren't from that athletic background, they're not an extrovert, they may have trouble communicating back to you that they missed it. So a couple of weeks goes by and then it's like, so where, how did you get down that path? Well, that's what you told me to do. No, that is not what I told you to do. So I think that is still a challenge is, you know, not everyone perceives intention or the words that you're saying with how clear they are in your head, right? Man, I, that was a great meeting. I think they really understood what I said. And then the other person's like, what the heck did he just say? So <laughs> that, that has been a, a challenge for approach. And I'm, I mean, I'm a, I'm 
a collaborator by nature. So that has been part of challenges. Maybe I, I overuse other people's opinions versus being more of, you know, this is the way we're going to go. So I think that's been some challenge as well is I'm so attuned to that, that I often go the wrong way and like maybe muddy the waters trying to get every perspective possible versus just making a decision with the best information and getting everybody on board that way. So that's some of my challenge, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So an observation between you guys is you're, you're both, there are similarities and then there are distinct differences as with all people, we all have unique thumbprints by design. <laughs> and I'm just curious and you, you're both, I perceive both of you as very intentional learners. And I will say our experience at BGW with you has been, you are very coachable in that we've provided insights. Here's some levers that you ought to be moving. You, you did the hard work and you did that. You moved the levers, you, you took hard decisions you saw good outcomes because of it, but you took action versus, you know, hey, tickle my ears and then we'll move on to the next shiny object. So kudos to both of you. I'm just curious, as you guys have had some years together in the business world together, what are some tools or lessons learned that maybe you use that somebody else might find beneficial in discovering your strengths your passions, your, your thrive zones versus your wither zones that you, you, you discovered about each other and about yourselves. And then how did you adjust accordingly in the division of responsibilities versus just being pragmatic? You do North, South Car North Carolina, I'll do South Carolina. Whew, well, first of all, yeah, first of all, I'd say that most good salespeople are good listeners. And I mean, actively listen. And so first of all, I think that's a big part of it is that you, you need to really hear what clients are saying, what uh, employees are saying, what vendors are saying. Uh, and Sean pointed out earlier, so many people hear what they wanna hear. They don't necessarily hear what you're saying, but they hear parts and bits of that that they want to hear. So by actively listening, uh, sometimes you can overcome that and really hear what's being said. Um, so I think that, again, that goes back, Gary, to, we talked about communication. I think that's a big part of it is, is listening more than talking. You know, when you, when you go on a call, do you listen more than you talk? And if, if you don't, that's probably not a good call. I mean, a good call is when you can engage your client and they do most of the talking. So uh, I, I think that Sean has that trait as well as I do, that we're good at bringing out from clients or employees, you know, what, what the actual content and concern is that they're trying to express. Yeah, so two things, Gary. You know, one, I try to be very self-aware, which I think is a skill we all leaders can can work on and hone. And and I highly value in employees and just people in general of 
very much knowing your strengths and weaknesses. But but two tidbits. I mean, Good to Great by uh, Jim Collins was a transformational book for us, and I think that you know that's that's almost like a company bible. I realize it's got some some age on it now, but that's just such a great book to really understand what differentiates. And then we go back to a question um, that Dad asks all the time. That's one of my favorite questions: is Let's assume everyone has the same products. How are we going to be different or differentiate that? So that that to me is always a question to challenge the team because you know we do carry products that other people resell. So both competitive manufacturers and our manufacturer as well. So why should someone buy or take their purchasing experience through us? So I think those are always very helpful things to go to is that that good to grade and the hedgehog concept and then rolling that into let's assume we all got the same stuff how are we going to create a client experience that's going to make them happy make them want to come back and buy whatever it is you have to buy because they know you're going to deliver the results that you're looking for and that goes again back to a book uh, same side selling uh, Ian Altman is one of our mentors um, and really getting on the same side of the desk uh, with the client and have really honed in on your job is to help them achieve their results, not necessarily your results. And that just, I think, has been a couple key themes throughout time at our at our company that are, I think, very helpful. Yeah, and Ben, I'm not sure if, if this is a question that you're going to ask, but uh, certainly one of the questions that Sean needs to answer is why why has QDS prospered during a, a difficult COVID induced uh, mm -hmm. period and, and we have uh, I would say probably benefited more than most companies as a result of COVID and, and I'll, I'll let him explain why but uh, it's it's kind of an interesting sideline yeah. to our story uh, because of what we do for a living. Yeah, Joe, you can you can come on and be a co-host with us, right? And you can just keep asking questions. Ben, you know what? I've got time on my hands now. Perfect. So be careful <laughs> what you ask for because I may do that. <laughs> we'll we'll schedule one sometime when I know Gary's busy and we'll swap you in. And then there and then go. vice versa. I'm sure he'll he'll bring you in on a time that I'm busy. You can you think you Gary would in. have a spare t-shirt that would fit me that I could wear? <laughs> sure, sure. Okay. And, and and Joe, the good news is the pay is exactly the same. <laughs> In fact, if yeah. Gary gives you a T-shirt, the pay is greater than, than what we're doing right now. So, um, so sorry, I got a sidetracked. Anyway, Sean, if you can go into into what Joe was just talking about, that'd be amazing. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's the benefit of a good strategy hitting market at a right time. Like what what we do for a living happens to help automate transactions where possible. So COVID hits, many of our clients have to close their lobbies. How are we gonna be able to live financial, you know, deliver financial services a lot through the drive-through or digital channels that happens to be where, where QDS resides. So we, you know, we sell ATM and fancy ATM technology that allows people to do more types of transactions over greater hours. So. Um, and then as, as many institutions saw people adopt to digital that they, you know, they, a lot of executive teams were concerned, will our customer base ever adopt to this stuff? And you see the continued rise of self-service and Walmart and the airport and, 
you know, you pick your business. There, there's a heck of a lot of do it yourself out there now. So that's that's a lot of what our technology enables. That, hey, if you want to do a simple transaction and you want to do it when it's convenient for you, which we call the Amazon effect, then you know that that is what we do. So that has really helped our clients deliver services to their clients and you know, that's our primary line of business is making transactions easier, um, more convenient and enabling staff to do more. And everyone out there in just about every segment of the economy right now is struggling with staffing. So our solution, you know, reduces the need of having to have as much staff to execute the same amount of transactions. So it's been a, we have been blessed through what is a very challenging time because our technology and our strategy align well to solving those challenges for our clients. And if we do it well, we get rewarded for that. And it's, it's great to see clients be successful. And, and one of the key fundamentals of, of the company from day one has always been the quality of service that we provide. And, and we've seen, certainly since Sean has been on board, we've seen dramatic growth in our uh, recurring revenue, which is, service and uh, so we service everything that we sell and and uh, i th i think that one of the challenges for any company is being able to effectively provide service and, and how many times have you reached out to a company and been, been disappointed either with the way they answered the phone the way they responded to your call uh, when they did respond to your call, were they able to solve the problem? And those are all areas that, that we have worked on year after year to get better at. And I think that kind of honing that skill and making that the, the backbone of the company, so to speak, is that service truly from the beginning has always been the backbone. And sales comes as a result of that. And as, that, as word spreads from client to client about, how they were treated, obviously you get more business as a result of that. And I think that that's all kind of evolved over the years is that that word has spread fairly consistently throughout our footprint. So can I ask another question about that? That's really, really quite good. You, Joe said Xerox had kind of second to none training back in the day, which Absolutely. is why, right? Yep. We see, and good to great, I don't know, I've, I've got the book back there on my shelf too, but, um, and I'm, I'm trying to remember if they just pulled that out as like the, the stellar training examples. But if you look at the one, the companies even today that clearly have differentiated in commoditized markets, Chick-fil-A clearly differentiated in a commoditized market, Southwest Airlines, clearly differentiated in a commoditized market. Uh, Trader Joe's, another one, clearly differentiated in a, in a commoditized market. Goes back to, I think, training. I'm just curious, how have you guys been able to train without giving away your trade secrets, especially in this COVID upheaval world that we've been living in since 2020? Well, Sean may want to answer that, but I'll give you a brief answer is that if you simply do what you say you're going to do, you will probably be better than 95% of the companies that exist. It is amazing to me 
how few companies can fulfill that basic requirement of doing business, of, of doing what you say you're going to do. So that at its core, I think that's one of the things that we have, have emphasized. We talked a little bit about communication. So what happens? We, we have never gone to a, a tree type answering service or device. So when someone calls in with a service problem, they're going to talk to a human being that's going to empathize with their problem. And then we're going to respond to that, hopefully, within 30 minutes. And then we're going to schedule a call within the next hour. So those are fundamental basic service issues that, that we address and have addressed from day one. And Sean may want to expound on that as well. Yeah, I mean, taking more of the training aspect, you know, I have tried to help narrow our focus some. So as we have scaled up from, you know, 10 technicians to now north of 40, uh, it's hard to train 40 people on 200 things. So can we train them, you know, can we focus on 50 and making sure that we're really good at that? So we've, you know, just moved the organization into having a dedicated trainer. Uh, that's most of like what the service technicians do. We have a bit of a gap on the sales side, so I do most of our sales training. Um, so we we don't really have that skill set yet, where someone's doing a good job of onboarding them through a lot of the technology tools and approaches that we use. We do it okay, but I think that's one of going going back to issues at scale is do you have good processes to train off of, which we've gotten better. Um, but th those are currently things we're trying to work out over the next 6, 12, 18 months is how do you dial in what we call the special sauce, much like what Chick-fil-A, I mean, it's the, it's the my pleasure, it's the how do you make the drive-through experience quick. I mean, all that stuff around, man, if the, if the COVID shock clinics could just hire Chick-fil-A to run the drive-through, like everyone <laughs> would be vaccinated by now. Um, so I think taking that in principle and having been successful with a smaller group and then realizing that breaks a little bit at speed and scale is okay we really need to document that better because we thought we had it dialed in and we don't so how, how do we build better processes operating manuals etc and, and we're actively going through that process now and it's 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 a challenge and, and one of the examples of that is that it took us 39 years to finally have a full-time trainer. We we had kind of cobbled that together with the best of the best in the past and brought in various people to do training. But we realized with the importance of training that that's a full-time job, that somebody has to be dedicated to that every day of the week. And if they're not training another individual, they need to be writing the steps of training and, and documenting. And, and one of the things that that Sean is much better at than I am certainly is about encouraging people to develop a process. And I think we learned uh, a number of years ago, we, we had a company that expressed an interest in buying us. And this may be 10 years ago now. So we, we flew out to Arizona. And, and as we went through the process, one of the things we learned is that you have to clearly document all the processes that you have in place so that if somebody unplugs for whatever reason, and Gary, you talked about this on the webinar the other day, the proverbial, you get hit by a bus. And no, I haven't been hit by a bus, but I, I am unplugging. 
So, you know, how do you, how do you address that? And I think what Sean has kind of encouraged people to do is to really document what we do in all phases of the company, whether it's the, the admin that answers the phone or the, the person that's doing the billing or, you know, any, any position in the company, if it's properly documented, somebody else can walk in, open that manual, at least get an overview of what they're supposed to be doing. And then you have the foundation going forward of, of having an employee ready to move on. And again, this is something that I don't know that all companies do this well. Gary, you would know more than I. You talk to more companies, but I don't think all companies do this part very well. And if you're preparing to, to sell, not that we are, because that's not that wasn't the plan. It, it's really just about getting your ducks in a row and and making sure that you know anybody can do anything. That is a true statement. Very few, very few companies have those processes documented. And if anybody's thinking about not only making your life easier, but if at some point you do want to sell, you will get higher margins and you'll get a, you'll get a higher price by having that stuff documented and fewer roads leading to the top person in the company. <laughs> so as we get towards the end, Joe, I want us to make sure that we talk about Lionheart. So talk a little bit about where you are uh, and, and what you're doing, and then we can dive into to some of what you're, you're doing with Lionheart. So Lionheart as a thought started at least 10 years ago, but not, not as a 5013C. And, and certainly uh, with the help of BGW, if I can put a plug in for them, we learned uh, a number of years ago that it's not enough to just give money to people in need. If you're not stood up as a 501C3, you can't do that legally and, and have a tax donation. Not that that was ever the driving force, but one of the things we realized is that we, we wanted to help people. And I, I like to refer to six degrees of separation. We, we discovered that you don't have to look very far to find people in need. You know, first you go to your employees, then you go to people that your employees know, you go to their families, you go to friends of the family, you go to your church group, you go to other groups that you're involved in. Just in that relatively small circle, it is very easy every day to find people in need. So our goal as a charity is to work with the local community to find things in need. And, and I can give you a couple examples. One of, one of the things that, that one of the groups that we work with or charities we work with is Feeding Charlotte. So their concept was to take the leftover food from meetings and events and recycle that to the food deserts of Charlotte. And they have done that effectively to the tune of 100,000 pounds of food a year, they effectively recycle. Uh, first responders is another group that, that we support, and we do that a number of different ways. There's a, a local group called First Responders First, Lonnie Close, that we support, but we also reach out to police stations, fire stations, hospitals, and, and either donate food and or whatever they might need on a regular basis, but that was 
that was our uh, focus in the last month is that our reps went out and volunteered with local first responders. So Lionheart Charities is really designed to, to help anybody and everybody in need that, that is local to the communities that we serve. Uh, my goal now as managing director is to raise more funds so that we can do more good. We have literally no overhead. Um, I'm not being paid by Lionheart Charities and there's no other staff. So 100% of the money that, that is donated to Lionheart goes directly back to the charities that, that we're supporting or the people that we're trying to help. Um, so those are a couple things that we do. Uh, Pink Pint Night by Atrium Health is for mammograms for, for women that can't afford them. And, and we'll contribute a significant sum for 30 mammograms that are free for people this year. That's something that we've done for a number of years. So uh, again, I, I don't have to look very far. We, we are now part of, uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, Share Charlotte. There's 585 nonprofits that are listed on their site. So if I'm ever looking to find somebody in need, I don't have to look very far uh, in Charlotte or surrounding communities to find somebody. So my days right now, that's what I do. I spend every day trying to raise money and, and donate money to, to various nonprofits or maybe people that aren't nonprofits that are in need. Beautiful. That's so cool. Yeah. And, it, and it's amazing too, the, the, the heartbeat question from the beginning all the way to the end, right? Like Sean, you had said right at the start of being the example of doing business the right way, taking care of your employees, taking care of your communities, Joe, that this has been in your mind in some capacity for over, over 10 years. And now you're, you're having a vehicle to make that impact in an, another way, right? You're doing it through how you're taking care of your employees and how you're treating your communities. And now here's another way to do it through a 501c3 that you're, you're transitioning to and now adding to the element that, that you guys have built. Yeah, and the majority of our money uh, that funds Lionheart Charities comes from QDS. So uh, Sean came up with a, what he calls the BHAG five years ago, big, hairy, audacious goal of, of giving back a half a million dollars over five years. So we're well on our way to accomplishing that goal. And uh, Lionheart is simply the vehicle that, that can be used to facilitate that. Um, you know, it's not, it's not really a dramatic change for the company. It's just a more or less formalizing what, what we do. And, and um, we needed somebody to have time to, to dedicate to it, to, to do it on a daily basis. And that's, that's what I'm doing. That's what my new title is, managing director, whatever that means, right? <laughs> so well, as Joe, long as you're managing you, yourself and you, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, if, if somebody wanted to find out more about Lionheart and what you're doing, um, where, where would you send them? Where's the best place for them to go? Well, we're, we're getting ready to stand up our, our website, which is lionheartcharities.com. Uh, I do a lot of posts on LinkedIn every day, so they can follow me, uh, Lionheart Charities. 
either .com or .org. Uh, I have both of those uh, websites or URLs set aside for myself. Um, and certainly they can communicate directly to me at jferrell at lionheartcharities.com. Uh, whether there's someone in need, whether they're a company that hasn't developed a charitable giving program yet and wants to have a, a legal way to do that, they can donate funds to our 501c3 and, and then we can take care of, of their particular needs as their partner. Um, so I, I like to think of ourselves more as a, a conduit or a facilitator to help others do the right thing. It's incredible. Well, I think Gary and I could both keep peppering you guys with questions for a long time, but, but I really appreciate how much you've shared and, and have an, an immense amount of respect for the way that you guys are going about things. So, so thank you so much for everything you're doing and how you're doing it. Thanks for having us guys. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. It's good having you. Sean, thank you, you want to talk about Lionheart Law? That's a big part of you as well. So I don't want to just speak to it. I mean, I, I guess my only tip is, you know, again, going about doing things right. It started with serving our employees and local communities first. And again, we haven't haven't had to look far and just um, just care. I mean, it's it is a, a challenging economy right now, certainly. So how how can you make incremental differences in, in communities. And I'll, I'll go back and give C12, which is a, a Christian CEO group I'm a part of for, you know, really teaching business as a ministry. And how, how do you, how do you think about things with eternal fruit versus uh, just bottom line profits? And uh, it's been a great way to, to minister to our people and minister to, to the community at large and do good. And um, it, it's touched a lot of people in a lot of ways. I mean, I, we had one annual meeting, I want to say it was prior to COVID, where, I mean, just the impact that the employee going through doing a Lionheart activity involving their kids, and then their kids, that was so impactful to them, they spun off and did their own uh, charity. I mean, so it's, it, you really have that opportunity as a ripple effect. So um, a lot of people ask those questions all the time, and I'll, I'll throw it out. So if if you're a company listening to this and you're looking for just, hey, how would I start a program like that in, in my company without freaking people out or you know whatnot, I, I would be more than happy to give you some, some base framework on just little things you can do to get started. It, do, it doesn't have to be stand up a 501c3 big. It can be something very simple, but just I would encourage any business owners out there. Um, it's just a great way to invest in your people and invest in the community. And I would encourage them to call me and I'll take care of that for them. <laughs> <laughs> right on. <laughs> Joe Farrell, find him on LinkedIn. That's right. You shouldn't have to look hard. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, guys. Thank you for engaging us today. Yeah, absolutely. It's been fun.